Well, good morning, everybody. We're in Philippians chapter 3. So if you turn there, Philippians chapter 3, moving right along. You know, guys, the reason we started the, the book exchange is because I don't know if you've been to our library lately. It's out of control. The stuff, you know, the pushing critical race theory and racism. And, and if you look at the children's section, it's just pornography. It's just pressing into all kinds of immorality. So that's why we're trying to do an alternative. But um, yeah, world's kind of crazy, huh? It's like they speak evil of good and good of evil. And, and so we're here today to look into God's Word. And I entitled the message, uh, Run for the Finish Line. That we're in a race and God wants us to finish and to finish well. And he, te- he warns us that we're in these last days are going to be facing all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, it, the world's nuts. <laughs> and, uh, but thank God in His grace that He's still saving people and people are still coming to Him. So as long as people are getting saved, He's going to allow us to stay here to fulfill His purpose, to press on, to uh, expand the kingdom for His glory. And when that last person gets saved that's supposed to be saved, then he's going to call us up out here, and I'm looking forward to that. And I think we're close. And so today I want to encourage you, as we look uh, at chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 today, it's all about running the race and pressing forward towards the mark and not looking back and, and grabbing onto what Jesus wants to do in your life and taking hold of that. And not looking at yourself like, you know, I don't measure up, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. You can't. None of us can but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And so let's look at verses 12 through 16 in chapter 3 of Philippians. It says this, Paul saying, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I might lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as as many are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Father, we thank you um, for your word. And Lord, uh, you, you tell us we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. And so, Lord, that only comes with us surrendering to ourselves and putting to death the flesh and dying to ourselves, picking up our cross and following after you. And so, Lord, we need help with that because I need to crucify the flesh. And follow after you and so lord i pray that you would encourage us today through your word to let our lives be changed and molded and shaped by you and that lord we we would run the race and run with an attitude of winning and finishing well we ask all this in Jesus' name amen run for the finish line we're in a game we're, we're running for jesus and and he gives us the power that's the good news because we can't do it in our own strength and and, and He's going to reveal His purpose for you in your life. So He not only saves you, but He gives you something to do. Many people don't know that. They think all we need to do is get saved, and then we just run idle. 
No, he doesn't want us to be idle. He wants us to be about the Father's business. He wants us to be busy. God's going to give you something to do, and then when you complete it, he's going to give you something else to do. And that's the good news. And guess when that stops? Not until you get to the finish line. What's the finish line? When you're standing face to face with Jesus and you're in that new body, amen? And, and, you, and you finished, and you finished well. I want to finish well. I don't want to finish by the skin of my teeth. I want to finish with an abundance. He says he has rewards for us. I want to run my race. And the great thing about running the race is that Paul says, listen, he says in some of his writings, he says, let go of the things that so easily beset you. Run the race. That, that, that a runner, an Olympic runner, doesn't run with a backpack. He doesn't run with somebody on his back. He doesn't run with a monkey on his back. He doesn't run dragging. A, a soldier doesn't go into battle bringing his 70-inch flat screen and his Xbox and, the, and cooking utensils. He, he, those things weigh him down. And I say that because a lot of the things in our lives from our past weigh us down to where we can't run the race and, and we're hanging on them. And Paul's going to say, would you please let go of that? Run the race. Run the race with the attitude I'm going to finish. Now, you might be here today and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I'm not a good runner. <laughs> I'm with you. I can't run. Especially now. But here's the thing. You're not competing against anybody else. You're running a race, and you're the only one in the race. God has set up a race just for you, and you're not competing against anybody else because you know, sometimes we look at other people, we go, oh, man, look how God's using them. I could never be used like God didn't call you to be them. God called you to be you. And so you be what God's called you to be. Well, gosh, you know, I'm just a housewife taking care of three kids. That's what God called you to be, to train up your children in the ways of the Lord so when they're older they do not depart. That's a ministry. Finish and finish well. Maybe you're doing something now. You wish, you know, you've got high hopes for something else in ministry, but God has put you over here first. I'll tell you what, finish up with the little things that he gives you because if you're faithful in the little things, he's going to make you faithful in the big things. But if you won't do what he's asking you to do right now, why should he give you more? And as soon as you finish what he's asked you to do, then he gives you more and he gives you more stuff. And you just start seeing yourself starting to increase in the Lord. And now you're starting to get some momentum and you're running that race. But for some Christians, they need to get in a race. I know we're saved by faith, but there's a lot of Christians that are sitting on the sidelines and need to get in the game. You know, I, I remember a true story of, uh, it was, I think it was like a 20, 25K. I don't, I don't know what they call them, but it was a marathon. And, and the fastest runners from all, the all over the world were there. And, and there was this one particular guy that um, I forget what country he's from, but he's one of the fastest men in the world running. And he enters into the race. And you know how those, those things start? They start with like a thousand people, right? And, and they're all banging and everything. And the guy accidentally gets tripped, like right out of the gates almost. They just went a little distance. He tripped, he fell. He just tore up his knee and he dislocated his shoulder. And he got up and he kept running. And he was like, you know, he was like hobbling. He was in total pain and the knee was jacked up and the shoulder was dislocated and he's running and he's running and, and, and he didn't even come close to winning. I think the winning time was like two hours or an hour 59 minutes or something like that. And, and he came in a power, an hour behind that. But all the reporters came up to him to interview him because it was a human interest story. I mean, look at this guy. He's got a dislocated shoulder and a jacked up knee, and he still ran the whole race. 
And they were interviewing him. They're saying, why did you do that? You know, because, you know, most people, they get in a marathon, they run 100 yards, and they, they dig out, they get the T-shirt to say, yeah, I ran that. And, and they were saying to this guy, look, you're hurt. You knew there was no way that you were going to win the marathon. Why did, you, why did you keep running? And he said this. He said, my country didn't send me here to be in the race. They sent me here to finish the race. Jesus has saved you so you could finish the race. And he has put a task before you. But are you listening? It's important that we listen to the Holy Spirit. Do you have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying? Has God been telling you, putting something on your heart, and you just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off? Oh, there's no way I can do that. You can't, but he can do it through you. Let him. You know, the more we surrender to God, the more we'll be used by God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. We see great men of the Bible who were considered not much, and God used them. God wants to use you too. He does a lot with a little. He likes to use the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. Amen? And God's got a calling just for you. And he's got something for you to do. And I like what Paul says here, because this is the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you. He's one of my heroes in the scripture. I mean, this guy is a role model, right? I mean, he, he, we, we can follow him because of his example. And he would say, follow me as I follow Christ, right? This guy was on fire for Jesus. You couldn't stop him. He was unstoppable. You couldn't beat him to death. He'd get up and go back in, right? I mean, you could stone him. He'd keep going. He kept going because he saw and he grabbed onto what Jesus Christ had done for him. And he says, I got to give back. He has given me so much. I've got to give back as much as I can. And, but he, he, here's the humility of Paul. He says there in verse 12, he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. Hello. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, listen, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still a work in progress. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I haven't been perfected. In other words, this ain't going to happen until I'm standing in the presence of God. Meanwhile, he's changing me daily and sanctifying me and changing me from glory to glory each and every day. I'm not what I used to be. I ain't what I should be, but I'm not what I used to be. And he says, I haven't attained. I like that. You know, have you ever been around somebody who act like they arrived? Ever been around a Christian that, you know, they, they kind of look, look down at you. They got some kind of title over their name and, you know, they act like they're a little, you know, a little higher than the church. They're kind of between the church and God and they act like, man, they just arrived. And, you know, they look at you like, you know, maybe one day you'll be where I'm at. Nah, I don't want to be there. I want to be humble. I want to look at you and say, God can use you even more than he uses me. I want to look at you and I want to encourage you. I never want anybody to think that I'm any better than them. I'm, I'm a work in progress just like you. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm only doing what I'm doing by the grace of God. And the more you allow yourself to be used by God, the more powerfully God will use you. You know, sometimes we think, you know, I'm not growing. I'm not satisfied. I've been in this game for a long time, and I just don't seem like I'm growing. You know what? Let me encourage you. If you feel like that today, you know what might be happening in your life? you might be getting closer to God. Because when we get closer to Jesus, His brilliant light reveals more darkness in us. The closer we get to God, the more the darkness is revealed. And we, you know, we're thinking like, man, I can't believe, I, I, I'm like, oh, I'm a loser. I can't believe this. I, I, what am I doing? I should be farther along in the game. And, and what it is, is I've been getting closer to God 
and his light is revealing the darkness. And that's why Paul the Apostle said this. Check this out. This is Paul. He said in the beginning of his ministry, he said, I'm the least of the disciples. You're like, Paul, come on. Give yourself some credit. And then halfway through his ministry, he said, I'm the least of the saints. What? Paul, you're doing more than a thousand people put together. And then at the end of his ministry, he said, chief of sinners. Paul? He was speaking truth, but only because he got closer to God. And when we get closer to the light, it reveals that there's still a lot of darkness in my heart that needs to be cleansed. And that's why great men of the Bible would say things like Isaiah said, Whoa, whoa, I'm undone in the presence of God. He said, Whoa, I'm undone, a man of unclean lips. And Daniel said, My beauty was turned into corruption in the presence of the Lord. Peter would say, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. John would fall at his feet at Patmos as a dead man in the presence of God. Because the closer we get to Jesus, the more we see ourselves for who we really are. And so here Paul says, I've not already attained. I haven't been perfected, but I love this. Check this out. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I like the, the King James, the way it says it is that Paul says that I might apprehend what I'm apprehended for. I like the word apprehend. Because, you know, what do you think of when you hear the word apprehend? They apprehended the criminal. They arrested him. They took possession of him. He no longer has any rights of his own. He's been taken into possession. He's been arrested. And Paul uses that same word that Jesus Christ has arrested Paul. He has taken possession of him. He realizes his life is no longer his own. He's been bought with a price. It's time to die to myself, pick up my cross, and follow after Jesus. He's apprehended me. I like that. That's so cool. I mean, when you stop and you think about it, and then he says, listen, he's apprehended me, but now I need to understand what he's apprehended me for. I want to lay hold of what God has laid hold of me for. What does God have? God has something for you to do. God not only offers you the gift of salvation, but when you open the gift... You not only get salvation, but you get plans for what to do. By the power of the Holy... Don't you ever like receiving gifts? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, Christmas, birthdays, that was amazing, right? You get all these gifts. They got your name on it. You're picking up the box. You're shaking the box. You're like, this box is mine. But you can't enjoy the gift until you open the gift. Right? And there's a lot of people that aren't opening that gift that Jesus is giving. You remember that old movie... Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Anybody? Uh, I read the book in, in elementary school. It was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I thought it was killer. And then Willy Wonka came out, the first one, the old one. <clears throat> and it was the story of this, this, this candy king, Willy Wonka. And he had the candy kingdom. And this kingdom was so locked down, nobody could get in. And everybody wanted his secrets because he had the state-of-the-art candy and he, he was do, doing mind-blowing things. And inside his factory was like a whole other world. Remember that? It was like this amazing kingdom. And everybody wanted to know how he was making this. He was on a, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10. He was all by himself when it came to making candy. And everybody wanted to know his secrets. But nobody could get in. And after years, all of a sudden, he announces he's going to let, I think it was five people in. 
right? And, and, and so he says he's going to put these golden tickets in the Wonka bars, and they're going to go out all over the world, and whoever finds a golden ticket will get to enter in to the candy kingdom and meet the king of candy. And, you know, and here was the other thing. You had to be there on time, because if you weren't at the gate on time, you can't, you, you, if you came and the gate just closed, you missed out. Why? Because you opened your candy bar too late, right? And so, so he puts out these candies, and there was that guy, that little kid, Charlie. And Charlie was from a poor family, didn't have any other brothers and sisters, but he lived with his mom and dad and both sets of grandparents. They all lived in that one little room. It was this old shack. His dad worked all day, and they could barely even eat cabbage soup at night. Sounds like a tribulation, doesn't it? And so on his birthday, they knew that he wanted to go to the, the factory so bad, so they scrounged up enough money between mom and dad and all the grandparents to buy him a candy bar, and they bought them this candy bar. They were so excited. They were praying. The ticket was in there, the golden ticket, and he opens it up. No ticket. And he was bummed. And meanwhile, four of the tickets had been found. And then he's walking down the street, remember that? And he finds money, and he's thinking to himself, oh, and he goes into the candy store, and he, and he buys this candy bar, and it was a Wonka bar, I think it was, and, 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 uh, and he opens it up, and there's the ticket, and everybody freaks out, and like a riot breaks out, and all the press are there, and, and everybody's trying to, you know, get the ticket. He's got it in his hands, and it's like you think he's, someone's going to grab it, and the candy store owner goes, Charlie, run home. Don't talk to anybody. Just get home, and he gets home, and he shows it to his, his parents and his grandparents. Everybody's all excited, and Charlie enters into the candy kingdom, and meets the candy king. And the candy king was so taken back by his kindness and his love and his caring for others that Charlie inherited the kingdom. See, you could have bought all the candy bars in the world at that time, but it wasn't going to do you any good unless you opened it up. Because you could say, I've got all the bars. I, I guarantee it, I've got all the tickets, but the, it wouldn't do you any good. You couldn't show up with a Wonka bar. You had to show up with a golden ticket. And God has placed, check this out, a present, a gift in front of every man and woman in this world with your name on it. And there's a golden ticket inside of it, and it's salvation. It's the keys to the kingdom. It's the key through Jesus Christ by the only way which man could be saved. And you've got this box, and you have the choice to look at that box and open the box, or you could look at that box, and you could shake that box, you could kick that box, you could, you could scream at that box, but it won't do you any good, because if you don't open the box, you'll end up in hell, because you didn't open the gift that God set before you. And not only when we opened that gift and we accepted Jesus Christ, He not only made us part of the whole family, but there was plans in that gift for something for me to do and something for you to do. And so he says, I press on that I might lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. Paul, I think right here, is reflecting back on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9 when you remember that the apostle Paul used to be called Saul of Tarsus, and he was a Christian killer. He thought that Christians were destroying uh, Judaism. He thought he was doing God's work. And I think right here he's reflecting back on his Damascus experience. In chapter 9 of Acts, it says, verse 1, But Saul, who was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, the way is what they called Christianity back then. You were of the way, right? The way, the truth, and the life. Well, yeah, we're of Jesus. So he's persecuting the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And so trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's a guy who thought he was doing God's will by killing Christians and persecuting Christians because he thought they were a threat to what he believed in. You know, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, trusted in the God of Israel, but he, when the Messiah came, he missed it. And so he was actually killing Christians and beating them and persecuting them and throwing them into prison. He thought he was doing God's work. He really thought he had a heart for God. And God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And if you're going after the things of God, but you're going in the wrong direction, but your heart is for God, God will redirect you and set you in the right path. And so God knocks him down, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He recognizes God is speaking to him, and he's thinking to himself, persecuting you? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. And then Jesus says, he goes, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul would later develop this idea that Jesus Christ is the body of Christ, that the church of God is the body of Christ. And Jesus is saying, Paul, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. And wow, what happens? Full transformation right here. He gets knocked down, and, and he, God reveals himself to him. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus for who you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against things that are sharp and that are true. You're fighting this, Paul. What are you doing? And all of a sudden, Paul right there realizes Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what did Paul do? He opened the box. He opened the gift. He took on that, that golden ticket of salvation and look at his response right after that. Lord, what will you have me to do? That should be the response of every single believer as soon as you get saved, not just to go, I'm saved, stoked, going to heaven, but now what? What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you have for me? The Apostle Paul was so ready to serve God and he wouldn't let anything or anyone get in his way. Did you know that? Was this guy just like persevering like crazy? You could beat him up, throw him in jail. He'd get out of jail and just keep preaching. He'd go on to the next town and get beat up. You and I, we might go, you know what? Didn't sign up for this, not doing it. But if you look at his life and all the things he went through, nothing was going to stop him from preaching the gospel. And I made me think of this verse. Matthew 11, verse 12 says this. And this is Jesus speaking. And from the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What is that saying? He's saying from the time of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the, the, the end of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And he says from the time of John the Baptist 
until now, all the way up to where we're at, present day, 2022, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, violence and the violent take it by force. Now, of course, the church is under attack. I get that. But it's saying something much more deeper. He says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force force what is he saying he's saying when you're born again and you've got a truly transformed life that you will fight to get the gospel out and nothing's going to stop you you're going to take it by force now let's take it even deeper where's this fight start right here didn't the Bible say that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh that I'm not doing the things I want to do and the things I want to do I'm not doing them and the stuff I don't want to do I'm doing it there's a war going on. God's saying to you, get in the game today. God's saying to you, start serving. And, and as soon as you say, okay, yeah, I want to do that, then this war starts in the flesh. You're fle oh, you're too tired. Oh, you don't feel good. Nah, you can't do that. And you, you've got to put the flesh to death. You, you, the Bible says, kill the flesh. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says rehab the flesh. You can't do it. You can starve your flesh for two weeks. You cannot eat anything. And when we fast and pray, our flesh gets weakened and our spirit soars. And oh man, we come to these mountaintop experiences with God. But I'll tell you what, if I give my flesh one little fishy cracker, that thing will rise up to kill me. I can't rehab my flesh. I got to kill it. I got to die to myself daily. I got to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. It's so important. So we're fighting a good fight. We're fighting. We're going to fight in this world. You know, you look at Apostle Paul. Look at, look at what he did in Lystra. He preached the gospel. He forced the gospel into Lystra. They grabbed him, took him out of the city, threw him on the ground, rocked him, killed him, and they went back in the city. He died. God brought him back to life, and he went back in and forced himself in the city to preach again. Is that taking it by, taking it by force or what? The violent taken by force. Listen, we, we are fighting a good fight. We're here to fight. Give you another example. Um, I think it's Mark 2. Capernaum. Jesus had gone through. He's going around Galilee. He'd already gone to Peter's house, healed his mother-in-law. And then he comes back to Peter's house, and there's this thing going on. It's, it's, it's like he's teaching this, uh, this Bible study, and everybody's pouring out from all over the place. They've got to come there to... Uh, to hear from Jesus. And so they, they get there and the place is packed. I mean, it's literally packed. There's no room in the inn. It, the, the, the house can only hold as much as it can. And then everybody was gathered outside. They were gathered outside and they were um, like looking in the windows, looking in the doors, and there was this huge mob around. And then there's this situation where these four guys show up with this guy, the paralytic. Remember the paralyzed guy? And he's on a stretcher. And they're thinking, by faith, if we get to Jesus, Jesus could heal our friend. And nothing was going to stop them. The violent take it by force. And so they get there, and the unthinkable is happening. House, house is packed. It's packed outside. I mean, there's no way. And, and these four guys, they look at each other, they go, hey, man, this isn't going to happen. There's no way we're getting in. And one of them goes, we're getting in. 
And well, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know. Let's go up on the roof. We'll tear the roof apart. They took it by force. They tore that roof apart. They tile by tile. Can you imagine? You're inside. Jesus is preaching a Bible study. And all of a sudden, dust is coming down on your heads. You're looking up. And they, they ripped apart Peter's roof big enough to lower a guy down in a stretcher in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at this guy. And when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> they took it by force nothing was going to stop him we're getting to jesus we just have faith that if we get to jesus it's all going to work out but then he gives this answer which was probably wasn't what they wanted to hear they wanted their friend healed and jesus instead of healing him says son your sins are forgiven you but he said that for two reasons to make everybody understand what's important is you come to jesus and ask for the forgiveness of your sins and then watch jesus work in your life but he also did it because, check this out, it says in verse 6 of Mark 2, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic that your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed and go home. And he just blows everybody's mind. <laughs> oh, touchdown. And then in verse 13, Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead of me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, listen, I haven't, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfected. I haven't apprehended everything that God has for me, but one thing I do know. This one thing I do know is I'm forgetting the things of the past. And I'm pressing forward towards the prize, the upward calling in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you today because maybe your past is keeping you from serving God. I hear people all the time, oh, Pastor, you don't know what I did. Well, why aren't you serving God? Oh, God, God doesn't want to use me. My past, oh, gosh, my past. You, you have no idea what I did. What? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Did you ask for forgiveness of your sins? I did. Did God forgive you? Yeah, he did. Well, then stop bringing it up. That's a word for somebody today. Stop bringing up your past. You know who brings up your past? Satan. And every time he brings up your past, you bring up his future. Stop digging up your past. Let it go. Some of you got to let go of the baggage. Stop it. I look at the Bible, and you know what? All through the Bible, great men of God, God shows their failures. Why? So we would get in the game. You look at men of the Bible who failed worse than you ever failed, and you're sitting here saying, God can't use me because of my past. And then meanwhile, people did worse things in the Bible, and God's using them greatly. Right? Did, didn't God use Moses greatly? Did you know where there was a time God was going to kill Moses? Moses didn't circumcise his kid. He was like preaching to the, to the people. And, you know, as a leader, he wasn't following what he was saying. And God got in the way, was going to kill him. His wife, Zipporah, was so worried about it, she grabbed a sharp stone, she circumcised their son, and then threw the foreskin at Moses and called him a bloody husband. I, it's in the Bible. You look at Jacob, swindler. 
heel grabber, conniver, thief. God used him greatly. Look at Samson. His life was a shame. But he had a heart for God. And God used him mightily. Look at King David. Oh my gosh, everybody wants to be like King David. David was the greatest king in Israel. David, oh man, a great leader. I want to be a great leader. David was a great musician. I want to be a great musician. He wrote great songs, godly songs. I want to write godly songs. He was a warrior. I want to be a warrior for Christ. But I don't want to be an adulterer. And I don't want to be a murderer. But I've got to let go of my past. You know what I love about the book of Hebrews in chapter 11? We call it the Hall of Faith. Is God mentions all those men. And he only mentions their victories. He doesn't mention their failures. Because why? Because when we ask for forgiveness, he cast our sin as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more. He, luckily, he didn't say from the north to the south because, you know, you can only go so north and then you begin to go south. But if you go east, you can keep going. You just keep going east forever. And you can go west and just keep going. Keep going. He cast it that far. What is he trying to say? Let go. Let go of the past. But it's not just let go of the junk from the past, but maybe you're here today and you're not in the game. You haven't been serving Jesus for a long time because you're hanging on your past good stuff for Jesus. Your past victories for Jesus. Well, you know, I did that five years ago. Okay, that's great. What are you doing today? Oh, I'm just cruising. I'm just taking a little break. Taking a little break? Paul doesn't know anything about taking a little break. Paul lived each day like he wanted to outdo the day before. Why? Jesus is worth it. Right? He loves you so much. He's like, listen, man, I am going to give you the power to do it. You're going to conquer things, and as you conquer them, I'm going to give you bigger things, and as you conquer that, I'm going to give you bigger things, and I'm going to do it through you, through you and then reward you for it. You just got to be available. Are you available to Jesus Christ today? Can he work in you? Are you fighting your flesh? Are you putting down your flesh and picking up your cross and following after him? Are you letting go of the bad things from the past? Are you letting go of the good things from the past? Because the good things will hold us back. We don't take a time out for Jesus because he doesn't take a time out for us. Aren't you glad? In verse 14, he says, where is it? There it is. I press toward the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ. Your, your version might say the higher call. I, I like upper call. It's the same meaning. But basically what he's saying is that he's pressing towards the goal. He's pressing towards the goal, the finish line, to obtain the prize. He wants to obtain the prize. He wants to attain the prize and the upward calling. What is he saying? He's saying keep going for Jesus until the upward calling. What's the upward calling? Until you die and go up or the rapture takes you up. But until then, you don't stop running. Because you're not going to reach the finish line until you go up. And he says, and reach for that prize. We need to reach for that prize, don't we? We need the prize. Do you want the prize? Do you want to get to heaven with an abundance? Do you want to get to heaven with a prize? Or do you want to get to heaven by the skin of your teeth? 
I, I guess nobody wants to get in by the skin of their teeth because I didn't hear an amen. But I got to read something to you that's good. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, tells them that we have rewards awaiting us. And what we do down here for Jesus is all that matters in heaven. So when you and I get to heaven, we're going to go to the Bema seat of Christ. And our works are going to be tried by fire. It's not the great white throne judgment. We're saved. But he's going to take everything that we did and put it in the fire. And if your works were gold, silver, and precious stones, you got a reward coming. If you did stuff for Jesus, not for you, but for Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom, you're going to have a reward. But if you were just a Christian who just it was always about you, then your works for Jesus, they're not going to last for eternity because your works were wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to burn up. You're going to have nothing. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, which was probably the most carnal church at the time, he says, for we are God's fellow workers in verse 9, chapter 3. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid hold the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one of us take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will come clear for that day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And that fire will test each one's work out of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. What does that say? That says there's going to be some Christians that arrive in heaven not so abundantly. He's saying there's going to be some Christians that are going to show up because they were saved and they're going to heaven, but they didn't do anything for Jesus. And their works for the Lord was wood, hay, and stubble because it was all selfish. It was all about them. And, and they get in by the skin of their teeth. In a sense, they, they're saved as through by fire, it says. It's almost like they get in with their pants smoking. And they're saved. And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to get to heaven with your pants smoking and have somebody go, who's that? Oh, they're one of those Calvary North Shore people little dicey right i don't want that i want you to enter with an abundance there's crowns for you to get there's all kinds of crowns that throw at his feet there's rewards that throw at his feet go lord look what you did through me lord i'm so appreciative of everything you did for me i could only live my life for you i could only have an ear to hear where you're guiding me today lord i only want to say what you want me to say i only want to do what you want me to do i only want to go where you want me to go lord i want to live a life it's pleasing in your sight. And then he says he was running that race. He was pressing towards the goal of that upward call. He says, man, I don't want to stop until I'm called up high. And you know, it's interesting because he was saying this to this group at a time where Rome was the empire and Rome would hold these like Olympic games. And the winner would get, you know, a wreath, a corruptible crown. But we will get an incorruptible crown one day. Amen. 
But he says something here that's very interesting that they would grab onto it. He said, the upper calling. What was that mean? If you ran the race, you won the marathon, a delegate from the emperor would come down to the track field. You would not receive your crown on the track. You would not receive your crown on the earth. You would be invited by a delegate from the emperor who would come down as an ambassador and say, listen, the emperor wants you to come up to a higher calling. And you would go up above the stadium where the emperor was, where the emperor, the king, would put the crown on you himself in the midst of all the people and the dignitaries. And Paul knew if he said this, they would understand that and grab onto hopefully a more heavenly picture of that. that you're going to receive your words not down here on earth, but high above. And you're going to receive it around the angels and the dignitaries and the men and women of God in the presence of God, and he's going to put the crown on you. Oh, happy days. Amen. Let's wrap this up. Verse 15, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, guess what? God's going to reveal it to you. He wants you to have this mind. He wants you to be mature. And if you don't understand something, ask God and God will reveal it to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says that to us. God's going to reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Wait, Paul, you said you hadn't attained. Now you're saying we have attained? What's he talking about? He's saying saying he hasn't arrived yet. He's saying he hasn't obtained yet. He said he hasn't been perfected yet. But he's saying, but what I have learned, what I have attained, I hang on to as truth and I keep pressing towards the mark, right? He's talking about our maturity, right? When you're a new believer, you desire the sincere what? Milk of the word. But as infants that desire the sincere milk of the word, as we grow up, we what? Then we want to get on the meat, right? God says, you know, he said, I think he said it to the Corinthians. He goes, you guys have been on the bottle for how long? Get on the meat. Start eating some solid food. And as we get older, we start eating gnarlier food, right? We start eating the spicy stuff. And then, you know, and Christians want to go from the milk to the hard food, to the really hard, to the jerky. Man, we're just not. Oh, man, it's good. Look at that, chapter three. Right? You have a hunger for the word of God because he is the bread of life. And he gives us our daily bread. And we're to mature. You start out as an infant. Then you come to the toddler stage. Then you come to those teens. And then you come to the adult life. And then the elderly. And there should be something changing each and every day. Why? Because you're going to outdo today. You're going to outdo what you did yesterday. You're not hanging on to the past. You're not hanging on to the junk. You're not hanging on to your good accomplishments for Jesus Christ. You want to know, what can I do today for him to just blow that out? You're running the race. You're pressing towards the goal to hire the upward calling because why? You want to finish the race and you want to finish it well. And you want to hear him say that to you. And you want to receive the prize. So you can say, Lord, thank you. Because I didn't do anything but surrender. You did it all through me. Amen? Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would impress these words upon our hearts, Lord God, that we would walk out here changed men and women for your glory. We look forward to what you're going to do in our lives tomorrow. 
In Jesus' name we ask, amen.